Oopsie Podcast Pressurized, a short, punchy version of our full-length shows. So if you want to get right to the scientific point, this is the place to be. If you really enjoy the topic and you think, I'd like to know more, just match the episode number and you'll be able to find the full-length episode in our feed. And now, to get right to the point. So we got to hang out at the 10th International Crustacean Conference, which was being organized with uh, Niwa, who's like the the version of, of NOAA uh, down here in New Zealand and the, the Papa Museum. So you were over as a keynote speaker, Alan, was. and it was a chance for us to catch up for the first time in ages, get down the Welsh bar, the Good. only and slash best Welsh bar in the Southern Hemisphere, and catch up with loads of people we haven't seen since lockdown, since everything went a bit crazy. That was great. And uh, yeah, so I took the opportunity to go and see an old ship that I used to work on 10 years ago called the Kaharoa, because I know it's getting scrapped in, so I meant to pay homage. Managed to get the old first officer, Steve, out of his beekeeping retirement. We went down to see it together, so that's cool. We saw a bunch, bunch of other scientists as well. I had lots of meetings offline and gave a little talk, and we got to go to the Welsh bar pretty much every we day. Yeah. And they remembered us, despite it being nine years, and that's probably a bad sign. It's probably a bad sign, but they were very happy to see us again. Yeah, that's very cool. But it was an opportunity to chat to a bunch of people while they happen to be there so sorry for the free and loose layout to this episode uh it was just a chance to to chat to lots of people as we got bumping into them at the conference so alan can attest to how horrible planning such a huge conference can be it is a huge and stressful amount of work oh, it's horrible i i i don't think i'll do it again i found it an absolutely <laughs> thankless task uh, I, I didn't appreciate what was taken on at the time, but uh, I won't say what conference it was because I hated every minute of it. And uh, yeah, the backlash and the, the comments at the end were really quite hard. And uh, yeah, it was utterly thankless and I'll never do it again. There we go. That's Alan's day. <laughs> but after the main conference had finished, just before the conference dinner, I managed to catch up with two of the key organizers to discuss how it all went and their thoughts and feelings on it. So here is Kareen Schnabel and Rachel Perrett. here with Rachel and Kareen. So you guys put together the 10th International Crustacean Congress here at Tapapa Museum. You guys are both from Niwa. So it's just finished. You're beginning to relax. You're beginning to calm down. How's it been? Yeah, we've had four yeah. days here at the National Museum of Tapapa Tongarewa here in Wellington. And it's been the first International Crustacean Congress since 2018. So we haven't seen our colleagues for five years. Normally yeah. they're every four years. But because of COVID, there was more more delays and I didn't get to attend the last meeting. So it's the first time that we've actually seen each other in person. So I'm mm. still I'm still buzzing from seeing, <laughs> like seeing our colleagues yeah. who some of them we've seen on Zoom or of course we collaborate and talk and but having everybody together was just that's right. Just and then there's all these names that have appeared since 2018 of people who are early career and students that have come through and so it's really good to see them in person and just kind of connect and go oh okay your work's that bit um yeah actually that's an interesting one do you do you have any tips for a student say going into the conference for the first time like what what a scientific conference is like it's really easy to get overwhelmed by all the people and all the people that seem to know each other. So having at least one face that you know and that is familiar is a really good jumping point. It's okay to latch on to people. Yes, yeah. <laughs> and actually go, no, I'll go out with them afterwards, even though I'm exhausted and I'm totally wrung out, and um, just to maintain those networks. The social moments are, are really, really powerful. The, the talks themselves almost, 
it's a great chance to introduce yourself to like they put the face to the to the work but uh yeah it's the little relaxed mm. bits afterwards where uh yeah. the talks are just the sparks aren't they yeah, yeah to put yourself out there and that's really difficult to do to put yourself into somebody else's face <laughs> but i think it just about yeah. generally the uh, the senior scientists are not scary there's a couple <laughs> there's, uh, <laughs> i'm just gonna say i'm still scared by a couple of them but, oh, you know. but, but just just walk up to them or find some way to to just have conversations I, I do remember it depends on the meeting too i've been to meetings which made it quite difficult to connect but um i really am struck by how sociable our particular bunch of crustacean scientists are and that came through at the closing session that we just mm. had. And it's just a really wonderfully cohesive and sharing and very warm community and um, really wraps itself around, particularly the younger scientists as well. Yeah. And that really comes across. You yeah. see the confidence build over the conference as they sort of relax. Yeah, such a diversity of topics and, and people. And yeah, really, really successful. But I'm also really glad it's over. <laughs> you can finally relax. And they uh, they got a very sort of New Zealand welcome, a very Aotearoa sort of welcoming and, and structure to the to the conference. I know that we've got a lot of international visitors. Yeah, that was very special. We thought we would, uh, as as you do in in New Zealand, you you welcome with a, a, a Maori welcome. But there's various levels of it, from saying hello to uh, the full pofiri that we got, which was the invitation mm -hmm. to the uh, the marae that we have at Te Papa, and welcomed by the uh, the Iwin residents and the local um, Taranaki Fanui uh, Nati Toa, and uh, it was just a really powerful way to be welcomed with the sun shining through the colored glass and the amazing marae. The, uh, I think that was a, a really, a really quite special mm. experience to, to showcase, to welcome to New Zealand. The last yeah. one was in, in Washington, the previous one before that in, in Germany, the one before that in China. So our delegates have gone around the continents and taking in a little bit of mm. that local culture. And, and this is the way to really, really showcase yeah. how and we are welcoming. Even though it was in completely into their Māori, I think people got the idea of the welcome of the sense of place, of the um, connection that people have with other people and place. That's great. With a bit of comic relief too, because uh, the uh, the other side, <laughs> the um, the welcoming uh, side, um, does the uh, the welcoming in in Te Reo Māori, and it was we couldn't understand, or nearly all of the delegates couldn't mm. understand, and there was like Māori 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 break crustacean, <laughs> Māori Māori Māori, <laughs> and we all had to laugh and that was one of those real icebreaker moments which yeah, yeah <laughs> which was quite definitely special. yeah because it's such a grand atmosphere it's quite an intense experience yeah. and then that little moment broke it and it was like no it is it is a welcome and then we had a phenomenal um kapahaka on the, at the welcoming reception which numerous people were in tears from wow. um natito and um they came and it was very powerful and a lot of people really were impacted by that. They were just like, oh, I feel really connected and welcomed. And That's wonderful. Yeah, Alan was a keynote speaker on the Wednesday and then we had a, a deep sea session, lots of lovely amphipods, big flamboyant red ones. They are wonderful. Oh, I did see a keychain on one of the backpacks. Oh, okay. Oh. Uh, one of those backpacks. I had a tea ones. strainer that was a backpack. Actually, jumping off from that, you guys, you guys had like a charity raffle. One of the things looked rather familiar. <laughs> <laughs> yes, so we have the Ray Manning Bazaar. So Ray Manning was a stomatopod worker way back when and he passed away a little while ago. But people bring their crusty merch <laughs> to each conference and people do a silent bid and the money goes to our student awards. And 
I contributed a face mask from the Deep Sea podcast of the, of course, the crustacean, not the squid. Of course. <laughs> and I, I, was, I was aware of the, the conflict between the, the crustaceans and the fishy people and they're like, oh, crustaceans are just fish food. So it was good that we, we had the I am your tongue now just to, just to keep us fish people in our place. It's like, eh, it's not a one-way street. It's fantastic <laughs> as a face mask because really it's in the right spot. <laughs> Oh, I, I was really surprised to see that. I really enjoyed that. So speaking of the student prizes, oh, sorry to put you on, on the spot memory-wise, but... I, I judged one of them. I, one of the side effects of organising a conference is that you, you can't get actually out. get to see most no. of the, uh, the presentations. But yeah. I did judge the, the main oral presentation student award winner, and she presented this really cool um, biochemical um, aspect of the crustacean eye. So there's mm. these crystals, these crystalline structures that sit underneath the uh, cornea of these shrimp and how they, uh, their physical, it's a collaboration between physicists and chemists and biologists looking at the distribution of these crystalline structures under a crustacean eye and how they adjust that to light. So these were different shrimp and larvae that were in estuarine settings and in, in deeper waters day mm. and night and the background color was actually being matched by these crystals so the brackish brownie estuarine waters their eyes ended up being more yellowish and then the um, the open water clear blue waters their eyes looked quite a bit more light silvery or turquoisey mm. and then that was matched on dorsal ventral back you know top and bottom with the background the light and the dark so it's a camouflage thing it is a camouflage thing and it is a, an, a really quick response in the way that these little crystals are being shuffled around essentially that's what our, my take was on that yeah. talk. I'm not yeah. a specialist but I remember walking out of that talk and I wrote on my little judging sheet favorite and <laughs> she, uh, she ended up getting the top prize I think I've heard other people talking about that one I think that was that was a good one that sort of murmured yeah. around the room a little bit mm. yeah she was good were there any other big ones were there any other ones that seemed to sort of send a ripple through the community it's just like oh that was new or that was cool there was lots of cool imagery. It's just wonderful to see the photos. Imagery's really leapt on. Like, it's some in situ stuff, but then lots of, like, scanning electron microscope stuff and just really... The detail just in the last decade has just shot up. I, I like a room of gasps. I, we've heard a few of those. Sometimes it's just a really good result, but sometimes it's just beauty. And you'll hear a few... Ah. And it's funny because you can tell the people who, like, really like that group. They're sort of fans for that particular group and you'll, you'll get extra gasps of, like, oh, that's the best I've seen of these things. And then Helen Tamburg from... Norway who talk yesterday on the Hyperiod antipods on jellyfish. Oh yes. Had some spectacular images of the mm. jellyfish and black backgrounds and it was just a stunning talk. A, a real eye for design as well because there were yeah. great images to start with but then the whole talk it fit into that visual style you know when a when a little thumbnail image could be used That's rather right. than a name and so when you're you've had talk fatigue a little bit and just it was really a visual talk mm, so mm. she really lent into like yeah i've got great images but i also know how to use them that's right. I know this science, but it also shouldn't be boring because yeah. <laughs> they're gorgeous. You appreciate the beauty. <laughs> mm. And yeah. Alice talk with all these amazing yeah. photos of those landers. Seeing Alice yeah. moving and live. I've only ever seen them in Doing jazz. <laughs> so. There's a lot of character to them. This, this is the super giant amphipod. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I remember the, in the early sort of reports when we knew there was a giant amphipod down there and knowing how the little ones behaved, it was like, this must be an apex predator. This thing must be a monster. But they're, they're so gentle and lethargic and sort of gliding and a little bit clumsy as well.
Actually, um, we've been listening to, to your deep dive on the Fronema because we also, as um, uh, one of the aspects of this, this Congress is the, uh, the crustacean, the clever crustacean, Mafititino da Ave crustacean exhibition down at Tipapa, which is um, a small mm -hmm. public traveling exhibition. There is a Fronema in there as one of the heroes that uh, are being being showcased. And mm. of course, the first thing that always comes up is, is it based mentions. on the alien? And um, yeah. your your podcast has kind of it was, it was helped a little right bit in time. terms of oh. setting that right. It came <laughs> out just at the time. we had to say to the um, comms people. Oh, because they're desperate to like, they yes, please, please. And we mm. kept pushing them away from saying it was all <laughs> alien type things. Oh, that's great. We enjoy digging around for that one. Yeah, it's a shame when it's a fun one, but yeah, we, we, we should strive for accuracy. That's the problem. It's the fun stuff that really propagates and it takes so long to unpick it. Exactly. So final breath of relief, but the fun's not over because some people are hanging around. Once you've got all these Ooh. crunchy crustacean people in the same place, there's some work going on next week, isn't there? That's correct. Yeah. So we're doing a systematics workshop Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, which Johanna and Jenny are coming to. <laughs> so, and there's so many people coming through the collections because it's such an opportunity to come and have a look at what um, Niwa and Te Papa hold. So all these people go, my group? Could you pull out my group? <laughs> so I could go in. And someone said to me, I just want to just wander through the collections and pull out the specimens that I want to look at. And um, they're not allowed to do that. <laughs> so yes, so there are lots of people hanging around next week to look at the crusties. Yeah, it's a long way to come and there's a lot of talent that's collected in the same place. Yeah, and yeah. New Zealand is just happens to be on a really unique place on earth. It's so isolated, yeah. it's so far from so many places and we've determined that for the crustaceans about 40% of the fauna is endemic. So we've got a lot of these animal mm. groups and species, genera, families that are really unique that are yeah. missing in, in people's data sets and their genetic trees and their morphological comparisons and mm. so they, uh, they are itching to get their hands on some of these animals that, yeah. uh, that we hold and, and this is um, yes, an opportunity to just nip next door. And we're going to have a great opportunity to train up some younger scientists with some of the more experienced ones being here. We lured them in with the temptation of the collections. We need we need new taxonomists. I know, we yes. really do. And uh, I think it's almost been badly advertised or there's this idea of like the meat librarian and the collection is static and preserved and looks far into the future but the use of it is dynamic and in the moment and you know I was really surprised sort of behind the scenes at a collection just how busy it is and how weird the, the requests are and it is a public resource not just for scientists but for for the general public and so yeah this idea that this is a collection that has existed for hundreds of years gives it this static feel and there is a lot of care for the specimens themselves they are incredibly precious but yeah. the people who use them are flitting around all over the place and it's it's the cutting edge of a lot of research it is not it is not stagnant uh, or it's not the old way of doing things I no. think it, it's really good that these young folk are getting to be excited about it and, and on an emotional level like being in the presence of the animals you study you can't really top that so still lots and lots to be done thanks so much for having a chat is there anything I've missed is there anything that would be handy to to talk about uh, just the weird and wonderful world of crustaceans is out there like mm. People think they're just tasty things to eat or, you know, I've seen a crab, mm. I've seen a lobster, but actually it's mind-bending. But yeah. it is one of the things that we're really trying to highlight in this little exhibition is that, uh, you know, you might think you know a crustacean like a common crayfish, but most of the people don't know that the larvae looks like a transparent leaf that's blowing in the wind. Mm and travelling thousands of kilometres for years in these ocean currents. So, uh, 
And like goose barnacles are actually crustaceans, not mollusks, which people, bends people's brains. So, yeah, a, yeah. A, a barnacle is essentially a, a larval crustacean that's glued its face <laughs> to a rock and is using its legs to filter feed. Those are the sorts of things that, that come as a surprise, and that's great to uh, just try to share with the, the public. Thanks so much for having a chat. We also ran into our old crewmate, Tammy Frank, professor of Nova Southeastern University. She works a lot with Edie Widder who we've had on the show, and she does a lot of work on deep sea crustacean vision, distribution, sort of interactions. Well, I pulled her away from the conference dinner, actually. She, she had drink in hand, there was nibbles, and then I accosted her and, and took her off to have a quick chat. So there's a little bit of dinnery noise going on in the background. So here is some feedback from Tammy. We should probably do an intro. I'm here with Tammy Frank. Professor of Nova Southeastern University, expert on crustacean vision, that be a fair bet? Deep sea ecosystems, crustacean distribution patterns and how light affects their um, distribution patterns during the day. There we go. And, uh, and sub-veteran, you were just telling me how many sub-dives you, you have. Yeah, I've been lucky enough to have about 70. And I have to say they're absolutely spectacular. Yeah, e- even at 70, it's not, it's not getting old. Every time it's wonderful. Oh, that's fantastic. What was your, what's your favorite experience in the sub? Was there, is there anything that leaps out as just like something amazing? Yeah? My colleague, Edie Witter, we shared the sub dives because we were doing work in the Gulf of Mons. So one time she would go down the front, the next time I would go down the front. And bioluminescence is mechanically stimulated. And so we would turn off a light, so we went up, we went down. And Edie has a classic quote that everybody seems to remember where she said, it's like the 4th of July down there, <laughs> which is a big holiday in the States because it's our Independence Day. And she's absolutely right. It's like explosions of fireworks going off. I need to see it. I've seen glimpses of bioluminescence, but I've not been, I don't know, that being immersed in it, especially long enough down there that your eyes have adjusted and it's yeah. sort of revealing itself. In Once you get down by about 500 meters, there's not much downwelling light for us to see. And so the bioluminescence is so bright that any motion at all, you'll see it. You don't really have to be dark adapted. Oh, that's amazing. So how did you find the conference? Very interesting. I learned things that I didn't know. I learned that I'm glad I'm actually not working in genomics <laughs> because I don't find phylogenetic trees that interesting. But there were a lot of deep sea amphipod talks here that I really, I don't really know that much about them. And that was very interesting. And then Megan Porter gave a dynamite talk on vision, which is my specialty. So of course it was a dynamite talk. Was that the crystals in the eyes? No, that was a student. Yeah, she won. That was her master's. She won the the, the student prize. Yeah, and I was talking with her because all the time on the cruises, we see these little tiny larval forms, look at them in the microscope and they have bright blue eyes. And my students was asking, why are they blue? I really don't know. But because of her talk now, I know why they're blue. And it's actually extremely interesting. So that actually probably made the conference worthwhile for me. It's usually that one talk that stands out where you go, I had no idea. And now (laughs) I know. And in a field you're familiar with, it's when you're just like, that's what that is. I've been looking at that for years. Exactly. What was the other talk that stuck with you? There was was a talk on amphipods feeding on bait at depth of 6,000 meters and then I think 850 meters. And apparently um, 
snailfish aren't found below 6,000 meters, or they weren't until Alan discovered one in his latest. <laughs> but in the trench that we're in, yeah, the 8,200 would have been would have been beyond the fish. Yeah, uh, and so he showed video of, in the one case, initially the amphipods were on the bait, and then the snailfish came in and just decimated the amphipods. And he showed us the gut contents and it's filled with amphipods. <laughs> and the odd thing is the amphipods never came back. So even though there was, the snailfish don't eat the bait, only the amphipods do. So even though there was plenty of bait left, the amphipods never came back. In the deeper site where there's no snailfish, the amphipods decimated that bait within like 24 hours. And, and to, to make it clear to our listeners, the bait was a whole dolphin. It wasn't a small, yeah. it wasn't a mackerel. Right, yeah, no, it's a big fish. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I, I just love seeing that many snailfish all at once. We've, we've, that was really, really We've not gone so long term. So yeah, seeing a great big pile of Mariana Trench snailfish was, uh, yeah. that was the and treat I mean, for me. His study was, they must have had remarkable funding to be able to go down that deep repeatedly. But they went down on day one and like day three and then day 10 and day 20 and day 30. And my question was, how on earth do you get the funding to have that many submersible dives repetitively in one year? Yeah, lucky, lucky. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking a second to talk to me. I'm sorry my to pleasure. pull you away from a lovely dinner and better company than me. But thanks for having a chat Happy with us, I also got a chance to meet in person and chat with Henry Knauber. Oh, sorry if I've butchered your last name. Uh, I didn't check how it was actually pronounced, so sorry, Henry. But I realized we've, we've actually been speaking before about communicating the deep sea and fun SciComm outreach and how to sort of make science more accessible. And uh, he's really taken that and he's running with it. So Henry has some brilliant German language content over at Instagram at uh, Bissell Arium. We'll put links in the show notes. And uh, yeah, I was really impressed with the quality of it. So we, we, we chatted when he was first thinking of sort of putting something like this together. And now it's like a really mature channel. Um, so I know we have listeners in Germany. If you get bored of our silly voices and you want something really good in your native tongue or you fancy learning some German, Henry's stuff's really good. So check it out. I've taken a quick little sidebar with Henry Canoba just to have a chat because we realized, well, thankfully you reminded me, but we'd actually had a little chat together on the Deep Sea Society Discord. Yes, Deep Sea Biology is a symposium, I think it was. But we were chatting about science communication. Exactly. And how to talk to people about the deep sea without going monsters. Yes. Um, and so how has that been? Like, what have you done? Yeah, ever since I picked up my PhD, that basically started right after DSBS, where we uh, both got to talk a bit. I also started to do a SciComm project besides a German one, because there are a lot of people out there on social media that you can follow that do deep sea SciComm in English. But I was thinking that we like something like that for a German audience. And um, we know from our stats we have German listeners. So Yes, that is nice. That's wonderful. But I mean, what, I'm one of them. So but what a bar to entry, you know. Uh, it's, science is hard enough anyway without a, a second language sort of filter yes. working on it. Well, my whole or the whole idea behind starting that was that people kept approaching me when I was talking about my work, being like, oh, my God, that's so interesting. So I could see that people are interested in deep sea science. But what's missing for them is an access point to get into deep sea science. And I just feel very comfortable and uh, enthusiastic talking about the deep sea. So why not put a little bit more effort in it? and make it SciComm. Where can we find you? Where can we find um, you in yeah. SciComm? So I have a website that basically just 
serve as a backlog by now for all the stuff I'm researching and putting together for the main SciComm channel, which would be on Instagram at abyss.arium abyss.arium on Instagram, where I'm basically just doing a lot, lots of different stuff, like obviously stuff from my PhD work right now, when I'm attending conferences, congresses. Also, we've been doing an expedition last year where I did a lot of filming besides actually working on the samples. And So if folk want yeah. to know what it's like on an expedition, you, you did sort of daily diary. Exactly, exactly. Like just taking some short video footage and uh, answering some questions, of course, uh, when people ask about how's life on a research vessel. Do they ask about the food? They always ask yes. about the food. And since <laughs> Why is that so interesting? I have no idea. It's burger and chips. Like I found a new species, but you want to know about yes. the burger and chips. <laughs> well, we didn't have burger and chips, in fact, because oh, German research vessel saw very German heavy cuisine, which actually was even at some point so exhaustingly German that at some point when we actually came into the harbor of Vancouver after six weeks We were all just going to the next Asian restaurant ordering some vegetarian stuff because we were craving it so heavily But yeah amongst that also questions regarding like sampling What do we find and how's life in general? What's your daily routine on a research vessel? What was the weirdest question that you got and did it did it like unlock a lot of stuff with you? Because so, Sometimes you don't think about this stuff until someone asks. Um, there was one question I got recently not connected to the uh, deep sea expedition, which nobody asked me before, which was, is there anything you are scared about the deep sea? Wow. And for deep sea scientists, I think this is a difficult question because... This is one we get a lot. Yes. <laughs> usually we just like, people ask, what, what's the most fascinating thing or what's your favorite animal? Uh, but something that actually scares me about the deep sea, I really had to think about it and I actually didn't come up with an answer. Well, they ask you with a smile on their face. They yes, ask you, like, yes. Scare me. Tell me a scary story, and you go to the scary place. And that's kind of what we're trying to push back on. It's like, yes, it's like all place. these tropes <laughs> with like, I think it's just this common misconception that we have like some animals which are just very large, and some animals that look very creepy, but are in fact like very tiny. Yeah. And then in people's mind, they just fused together to like some giant monsters. But in fact, at least for my research, we're tackling very small isopods, just a few millimeters in size, smaller than your common roly-poly in your garden or cellar. So they're cute. And, nice standing uh, electron microscope, you know, if you forget the yes, size. Yes, yes. Okay. They're mighty beasts, but yeah, it's that pressure to deliver that entertainment of the horror show. Yes, well, we can always diverge basically to those fascinating animals, because we have a lot of very weird, of course, creatures. Not necessarily horror creatures, but just very fascinating in the way they live. And um, talking about xenophores, for example, which always look nice, or barrel eye fish or something like that. There's dozens of examples of very fascinating deep sea creatures. Yeah, and go, go for the cool factor. You can sort of entice them in and then change their mind a little bit. Yes, go, go, that's the aim, cool. I guess. This yeah. is why you should care about deep sea. That's yes. Yeah. Oh, thanks for chatting with me. Really well, it was that. a pleasure every time again. So one more time, Instagram is... At abyss.arium. Great. Go check Thank it you out, very much. Especially for German speaking. Yes. I'm, I'm sorry you have to listen to us. There should be better things. <laughs>